there! Welcome to Nearly One Fourth, a podcast dedicated to women that are exploring or are in the field of architecture. On this week's episode of Nearly One Fourth, I'm welcoming Monica Lowry to the show. Monica is a discipline leader for Burgess and Naipaul Architecture team in Cincinnati, Ohio. Monica plays an integral role in the design and execution of various projects from conception to completion. She possesses the ability to see the big picture and the acumen to focus and fine-tune the smallest details. The combination results in her ability to deliver projects on time, on budget, and on an outstanding quality. With her strong leadership skills, she manages multiple cross-functional team projects and clients. She was recognized as the ICSC Center Build Leader Under 40 in 2018 and is the active AIA Cincinnati, currently serving on the Board of Directors. Please welcome Monica Lowry to the show. Hey there, welcome back to Nearly One Fourth. I'm your host, Haley, and this week I'm welcoming Monica Lowry to the show. Monica, thank you for joining us. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Um, So I have got to meet you a few times, but no one listening has. So if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I am an architect. I've been practicing for a little under 20 years. I've been in the Cincinnati, Ohio area. Um, I was with a really large firm, a big design firm in Cincinnati for um, about 15 to 16 years of my career. Um, I felt like I wore a lot of hats there. Um, I was a project architect, but I felt like I also got into um, projects that had graphic design, environmental design, interior design, and um, really got to experience the full gamut of projects. Uh, at that firm, we primarily did a lot of, um, I call it kind of fun experience type places. So we did a lot of retail, we did a lot of mixed use, um, hotels, restaurants. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing something that we did, but um, one of the jokes was you never went into any place that we designed to pay a bill or or do any kind of undesirable transaction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, that firm was acquired by a larger firm. So um, that firm locally was about 300 people. We were primarily in Cincinnati, but we had an office in New York and LA as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were acquired by a much larger firm and quadrupled in size at least. Wow. Um, so during COVID, during the pandemic, um, <laughs> June of 2020, um, my husband and I welcomed our third child to our family. And I was one week into my maternity leave and I got a message from a former client who was working for a commercial developer and he had just switched jobs and I'd kind of told him before I left for maternity leave. I'd been talking to him and just kind of had said, hey, let me know if you hear of anything. Um, I'm interested in what you guys are doing. And um, ended up switching after that maternity leave to work for a commercial developer, which was really cool. Um, It was neat to sit on the other side of the table. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had worked for commercial developers for most of my career or for Mm -hmm. Uh, retail clients or um, restaurant owners. And it was neat to sit on the owner 
or the client side of the table mm-hmm. and really understand that side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, it kind of it wasn't exactly what I was hoping that it would be, so I did not spend much time there. Um, mm-hmm. I got another opportunity in another firm, which is an engineering and architecture firm. And I say engineering first because it is super heavy on engineering. Um, And we are um, over 400 people and there are less than 20 people in the architecture group. So so we are very outnumbered and I love it. Um, (laughs) I love, I love, I love learning new things. I love, um, experiencing different project types and learning things from different kinds of people. So mm-hmm. it's funny because with the firm that I cut my teeth in, um, mm-hmm. the design firm, I always, always said, I work with a lot of really, really creative people. Mm-hmm. And now when people ask me what I do and what it's like, I say, I work with a lot of really, really smart people. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's funny because it's true. It's mm-hmm. just, it's crazy. Um, and like I said, I learn a new thing every day and it's, it's fun stuff. Um, but it's totally different than what I was doing before. Mm -hmm. So with a working at a large E little a firm, do you find yourself pursuing engineering type work or are you still doing architecture work and it just is inside the engineering world? I am still doing architecture work, but it's inside the engineering world. So one interesting um, arm of the business that we're in is we do um, utility, um, kind of, I call it, it's UI, utility infrastructure mm-hmm. work. So here locally in Cincinnati, we do a lot of work for some of the, um, like, for example, um, the Metropolitan Sewer District. Mm-hmm. So it's really neat to be able to be a part of a project that is um, it's kind of in the shadows of life. It's not mm-hmm. what you think about in terms of architecture. And I shouldn't say the shadows of life, but just the shadow of the built environment. Um, but it has such a profound impact on mm-hmm. the greater good um, in terms of trying to make the world and our local environment a healthier place by mm-hmm. um, by by having systems in place that improve um, what's going back into streams and rivers mm-hmm. um, and what's going back into the earth. So um, that's really neat. So even if the project is, it's a huge pump that's, um, that's doing, I mean, I still, I still have no idea sometimes what we're, <laughs> what, what the engineers are designing and doing, but I know I need to build, uh, basically a structure around this piece of equipment to protect mm-hmm. it from the environment. And I can do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> that I can it's, do for you. <laughs> yes, I can do that. I don't know what it does. Uh, you know, I, I try and have a general idea, but it is fun. It's just, it's neat to, it's neat to experience something different and to mm-hmm. kind of be, be in that learning mode and mm-hmm. not, not get bored. And constantly be trying to um, come up with a solution and come up with um, a different way of thinking about things. Yeah, it is super cool. And you you probably do know more about what they're doing than you think you do. (laughs) Yes, probably. um, And it's a, I mean, it's an always needed skill set is how to house this piece of equipment. 
and what systems go into I'm sure there's a ton of systems planning and ton of systems thinking which not a lot of us get to participate in so um I mean I'm I can't even tell you if I'll ever get to do something like that so it sounds very interesting yeah it kind of brings out I always say it brings out my inner nerd yeah yeah I let like Marvel and like TV shows do that my inner nerd (laughs) (laughs) I uh, a couple of weeks ago I got to um our firm we did a uh architectural lunch and learn at a local um a local um CMU plant and mm-hmm. I uh I came home and I told my kids about it and they were like mom that's not cool <laughs> it's so much cooler than I was you like think, you should have seen the size of this machine that was they're like that is not cool mom <laughs> Oh, I think it's cool. So thanks. So a lot of your career has been inside really large firms and corporations. Um, I'm new to my career journey, but I've co-opted a a ton and most of them have been at smaller firms and entities. What has it been like navigating the corporate architecture world? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would ever say I felt like I've been in a very corporate, corporate Mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first firm I was at, uh, we were broken up into studios. So Mm -hmm. um, each studio had a specific focus Mm -hmm. uh, based on our um, service areas. And I don't think that there was a single studio group that was more than 50 people. Most of them were, I would say, between 20 to 30. Maybe there were some that were closer to 50. Mm-hmm. Um, but that helped it feel a little bit more intimate and mm-hmm. feel like you were just a small firm in a bigger group. Mm-hmm. And I always liked that feeling because I was in the... Um, I started off in the department stores group and then I moved into mm-hmm. the large format group, which was kind of a subset of department stores. Mm-hmm. And um, I always liked it because if for some reason we were waiting for a project to start or, you know, something people, we just weren't staying super busy um, mm-hmm. just because of schedules uh, you could get offloaded to a different group for X number of weeks. And you could kind of just kind of go on, I don't wouldn't call it a vacation, but you could go on a vacation mm-hmm. and, and work on a hotel project and help mm-hmm. help out the hotel group for two weeks. So you could kind of see what life was like in that group without yeah. actually without actually having to move to that group. And it was a cool yeah. way to see how they did projects, how they interacted, what what the kind of the culture in that group was mm-hmm. compared to where you currently were. And um, inevitably after those experiences you would have, you learned stuff, you've made new connections within the larger organization, um, mm-hmm. which only helped you grow. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, um, I feel like there's all different architecture firm types usually have some form of stereotype and stigma and things attached to them naturally, because humans do that. We put labels on things. Um, and it's interesting to hear the idea that a large firm is really just a bunch of little firms <laughs> just in one mm-hmm. big room um 
did you was it easy to transition from team to team like or did you just like get to dabble in different projects be you solely focused on one or was it different for different locations uh it really was i would say um situation specific Mm -hmm. uh so i wouldn't say that there was one 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 cookie cutter way that things happened Mm -hmm. um it was more like you've got three weeks of availability. Um, the hospitality group has got a deadline coming up and they need mm-hmm. somebody to uh, pick up red lines or detail mm-hmm. out these specific wall sections. Or I, I felt like early in my career because the firm was so heavy on interiors, it mm-hmm. was like they just need people to put together material boards or material yep. books and I, you know, I, I was just happy to get the experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, so you're, you like myself are located in Southern Ohio, Southwest Ohio specifically. Um, what has it been like working in a city that is a little bit smaller than some of the ones talked about in architecture? Uh, it has been really cool. Um, I, kind of feel like the architecture community in Cincinnati is kind of like a family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like it's one of those things where I can go to an event and I can just talk to one person and it's like, um, you know, I'm not, I'll let, you know, I can just start a conversation with somebody and within a few sentences, we've got people in common mm-hmm. that, or, you know, firms in common or projects mm-hmm. in common, or um, I can very easily, easily um, bridge any kind of gap because mm-hmm. it's such a small town. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. And I agree with that. I think in general, across the nation, architecture as a profession is a smaller community compared to some of the other ones. So mm-hmm. in school, I was involved in AIS and all the time I hear names of people that are across the country that I got to meet at one point in one time. Um, and it's mm-hmm. definitely more prevalent in Cincinnati to go anywhere and be like, how do you know this person? Oh, really? We worked at that place too. And it, mm-hmm. it really is a common thing. Um, one of my coworkers, Chris Graham was like, how do you know Monica and I was like yeah. well I met her a few years ago and she's coming on the podcast and he was like oh my god I love her we served on this thing together and I was like how yep. funny <laughs> mm-hmm. yep I've not seen Chris in forever but yeah we were in um so Cincinnati AIA has got an awesome program called AIA Vision which is mm-hmm. a leadership program for anybody who is I think they it's newly registered, but it's I think you have to be registered within ten years, and it's a mm-hmm. year long program. And yeah, you get to know the other participants in that group really, really well. And mm-hmm. yeah, Chris and I were in it back in uh, two thousand and eleven, two thousand and twelve. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Um, do you do a lot with the AIA? Are you involved in many groups, or or do you just go to different events so i have um this past year i joined the aia cincinnati as the um on the board of directors so uh i am getting more and more involved with my place on the board um Mm -hmm. and 
trying to go to more events. Um, sometimes it's easier said than done. Yeah. Uh, I've got two kids who play select soccer <laughs> and I feel like once we put the family calendar out there, it gets kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, so I try and go to as many things as I can, but I still have a, a wanting for more. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a special spot in my heart for the AI vision program. Mm -hmm. So um, always try to become involved with that in some way or another. This past year, I was fortunate enough to be able to um, attend their graduation program a couple weeks ago. And then we also were able to host them in our office twice. And right. one of the times I was able to um, uh, meet with the group and be a, uh, I forget what, it's not a mentor. Um, I think just a, um, a, a participant in there with the group and help nice. keep the conversation going and add my perspective to it. Nice. Nice. Um, you've mentioned a few times that you have kiddos. We love kiddos. <laughs> what has it been like to juggle the beast that is architecture at the same time as juggling some select sport kiddos? <laughs> uh, absolutely crazy. Uh, <laughs> but it's one of those things that um, I, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist and a type A. So I have to constantly tell myself to embrace the chaos mm -hmm. and to... Um, <laughs> to set that set that line in the sand in my day when I'm okay I, I, this can all wait till tomorrow um yeah. within my work day this can wait till tomorrow it's okay um yeah. so I recently uh with the kids starting back to school I changed my work schedule so I get to the office a little after seven and when I made that switch I had to put a block in my calendar so I would get a reminder at 4 15 to go home because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise I just kept on I just wasn't realizing that the day that it's it's time to go home you're you're done uh, which was which is kind of funny but it's it's one of those things it's it's hard to find that balance and every day is different and every every hour can be different depending on what's going on at home or at work. But mm -hmm. I'm really fortunate. Uh, we've got great family. My mother-in-law comes to my house three days a week to help out with the kids. We've got great schools. Uh, my husband has a job where he's at home, uh, working from home most of the time. It gets a little hairy when one or both of us is on the road. Um, mm -hmm. But we just try and balance it out the best we can. And like I said, embrace the chaos. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever feel um, or have you felt supported in the profession with starting a family or have you ever felt that maybe it wasn't going to be a supportive community for you? Uh, I think that I have always been supported. Um, I've always worried that there, especially I think when I was expecting my first, that there would be some stigma or some limitation mm -hmm. in my career growth. Um, mm -hmm. but honestly, I have worked for some amazing people. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember when I was on, I've got three kids and I remember when I was on maternity leave with my second kid, um, I was, you know, I took a normal 12 week maternity leave and I think it was mm -hmm. week eight or so. It was around the time of the year when the company gave out annual bonuses and I had a text message from my boss that had a 
picture of my bonus letter. And I fully expected that because I was not there for bonus time that I would not get one, um, that I would be excluded from that. And I was totally okay with that. And he gave me a great bonus that year. And I was so thankful for that. It was, and I could not even tell you how much it was, but just the fact that that happened made Mm -hmm. me feel so supported. That's awesome. And you mentioned having like a fear of the stigma of it being unsupported. And at least for me, I I also obtained that fear for whatever that future looks like. And mainly because in, in my academic settings, it was very promoted that it's hard for women to have kids and be architects. Meanwhile, like our male counterparts aren't asked the question of you can't have kids and be an architect. It's only on our shoulders. Um, Yeah. But it it was a really common thought process, at least on the academic side of the profession. Now that I've been in it, I mean, obviously you can see parents making do with the environment that they're in. Um, But the fact that it's the expectation that women in architecture are going to struggle with following their biological settings and having children (laughs) is crazy it is crazy but my I guess now that I I think in hindsight looking back I wish that I had just said this is what I'm gonna do I'm not gonna worry about what anybody else thinks Mm -hmm. if if somebody is making me feel like I need to work 60 hours a week and not have a good work-life balance, then that's not the place for me. Yeah. And I think that when I was younger, I thought that I wouldn't have another opportunity, like mm-hmm. whatever was in front of me and that I was going to um, really limit my career if I mm-hmm. didn't say, yeah, sure, I, I'll stay late, no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like with the with the people who I've worked for, that they've always done a very good job of, of trying to make sure um, that everybody understands that it's a balance. Mm-hmm. And some weeks when you've got a deadline, the balance is off. Yeah. And then, and then you leave, and then you leave early on Friday after you get the deadline out and you go spend time with your family and all is right in the world. The and, 12 and o'clock Fridays after a deadline is, <laughs> I think, I mean, you you get that feeling in school when you're like pushing for a studio deadline and you're up for weeks on end and it's obviously not that extreme in the profession, but that 12 o'clock when you send out whatever submittal you're waiting on and you go home Mm -hmm. is a perfect day. (laughs) Yes, it is. And you don't look at your inbox. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you turn it off. You turn off Teams, you turn off all of it and you can just decompress. Do you think, yep. what what do you think helped you make the connection of being able to say no and not allowing yourself to say yes to a million late nights? And I don't know, I'm trying to ask this question eloquently, but there's not an eloquent I, way to ask I think I think it was, I think having people who I worked for who did not set unrealistic schedules that you know sometimes sometimes things happen but if you plan if you plan out a schedule on a project where you've got overtime that you have to work that's unfortunate if you Mm -hmm. if you 
if there's no way to avoid it, it is what it is. Yeah. But if you're properly planning out a project, if you're properly managing it, there shouldn't be too many surprises and you should be able to keep everything somewhat in line. Mm-hmm. Um, things are always unpredictable, but yeah. I, I think, I think working for people who showed me how to do that was critical. I think also just setting my own limitations and, mm-hmm. um, there's a saying that I can do every, wait, what is it? I don't know. I'm going to mess this up now. <laughs> I can do anything. I can't do everything. Mm, and I, I tell like myself that. that a lot. I can do anything. I can't do everything. I like that. I like that. Cause in, in school, I was definitely the person that tried their best to do quite literally everything. And then as I've progressed um, into grad school, my idea of everything shrunk and then in the profession my idea of everything also shrunk and so making those transitions from doing my undergrad version of everything to my now graduated version of everything those look so different and it comes with like an internal mindset that you're doing something wrong (laughs) like you're not doing enough and that's just not the case no no it's not the case at all and I think it's a good reminder to our to to ourselves to focus on the things that we're truly passionate about um, in the professional environment to make sure that we're not biting off more than we can chew, that we are delegating within the team best we can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, different positions um, allow for that more than other ones, but uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's a good thing to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Um, in your years of new hires and being a new hire yourself, what is something in a large firm scale that you all look for when helping training someone as they're coming in? I think somebody who is um, self-motivated. Mm-hmm. And somebody who communicates well. Mm-hmm. And somebody, honestly, somebody who's got a, I should, this is a, I'm not going to say this the right way, but basically somebody who has a good personality, who, who, who'd be fun to work with, um, mm-hmm. you know, somebody who you wouldn't mind um, having to spend four hours in the car driving to a project site with <laughs> it, it. You know, it, you spend a lot of time with the people you work with and that makes a big difference. Um, uh, you know, we can, we can all learn how to do a lot of things and, and fit in pretty well and, and the work, Mm -hmm. you know, the workflow at any firm. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but being flexible and, um, we like to say in our group that we are maintaining an ego-free culture. So Mm -hmm. there's no stupid questions. Some of the more senior architects, um, will, you know, have no problems asking questions, Mm -hmm. you know, technical questions to other, other Mm -hmm. architects, there's no ego. And it's constantly, everybody's just trying to learn. Everybody's trying to grow. Everybody's trying to keep the projects moving Mm -hmm. and put out the best product possible. Mm -hmm. So, so finding somebody who fits in with that is, is important. You know, it's probably hard to develop a non-egocentric architecture community there's a lot of egos in this world everybody has everybody has an ego everybody does but 
but but the, I think that that's critical to keep everybody, you know, to keep everybody communicating, keep everybody mm-hmm. talking, to um, to make it so that the junior employees are learning as much as they can and that they're comfortable asking questions because. Mm-hmm. I want people to be asking questions. I don't want somebody to be scared that somebody's that they're going to ask a question and somebody's going to look at them and say, "Why would you ask that?" <laughs> That's a dumb question. <laughs> no, I yeah, I totally agree. My first co-op ever. Um, I loved the place that I worked, but I did not make the most of that experience because I was nineteen and way more shy than I am now I think I asked Mm -hmm. probably like three questions and one of them was probably where's the kitchen at his office um yep and so it goes both ways and I was always so scared to ask questions and then my second and third co-op was at the same firm or at a different firm but the same one two years in a row and I was like Mm -hmm. you know what I'm gonna ask like one question a day because otherwise I'm not going to learn anything and I can do red lines for them all day. I know AutoCAD, I know Revit, whatever, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not going to gain anything. And it, it made such a big difference to slowly one on my own, be comfortable asking a question regardless of what their response may be good or bad. Um, and then finding the community that wants you to ask those questions on top of you finding comfort and asking those questions is huge. Um, Mm -hmm. I love that. That's an awesome thing. Have you noticed um, trends over the years of plucking someone fresh out of school and academia serving them well with translation to the profession or not serving them well? Or do you, do you feel that our training actually throws us into the environment well? Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like I went to the University of Kentucky and it was great architecture school, but it was so heavy in theory and design. Mm-hmm. Um, I could, I could BS my way through anything after <laughs> being down there, but, but I took one professional practice class. <laughs> and so, um, my husband always teased tease me. He was like, you need to go get your master's in business or something. He's like, you'd have, you, he's like, you didn't take any, any classes, you know, business type classes for being in the corporate world. And it's not wrong, but I just mm-hmm. learn by working versus learn mm-hmm. by going back to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's pretty common where there's a ton of theory-heavy universities. Um, I always found balance through co-oping, and uh, my undergrad required co-ops, but not all places do. And I think it's such a missed opportunity because there is so much value in having a school that promotes design and theory and helping flex that brain. But then at the other side, if you have no idea what the inside of a piece of drywall looks like next to a stud, then you're you're never going to be able to transition easy and obviously that the technical skills you learn over time anyways but yeah I, I think academia misses the mark but what I mean obviously the role of academia should be to prepare you for the profession um but it's also the place that stretches our profession probably more than others so then I guess on 
to be devil's advocate for their end? Like what should their balance be for themselves? Do they push the profession to do something different or do they churn out people that can work? (laughs) I think that they push the profession to be different. I think that the balance is appropriate. Um, Being now almost 20 years out of school, I I would love to go back to school for a semester and take a theory class. And um, I mean, when I was in school, we were just starting to use um, computer for modeling. Mm -hmm. They were, um, UK was a very um, uh, hand drafting, Mm -hmm. hand built model school. And it wasn't until um, the more senior classes where you were allowed to do things um, digitally but I'd love to go back to school and just hand me a roll of trace and <laughs> a sheet of a sheet of chipboard and um, and a knife and I'm good. I'll I'll turn out I'll turn out some designs. Give me give me some made up some made up project and I'll go I'll go, I'll go to town on it. I didn't appreciate it at the time, but I, all I wanted to do was real stuff when I was in school yeah. and and now looking back, I I truly do appreciate everything yeah that school prepared me for (laughs) the chef's kiss of studio projects were the ones that were obviously fake because it was a design studio project but brought in like 10 ounces of realism to it and what the real world was like and those are the best (laughs) because like this could be real even though it really couldn't be real (laughs) yes yes (laughs) but no a good theory class a good theory book it's good to stay mm-hmm. polished on that stuff. And I agree. I could, I love, I like practicing, but I love the academic architecture environment. So I could go back any day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so on that note, I think I'm going to start to pivot out. Um, do you have any like well-rounded last piece of advice for the nearly one fourth listeners today? Oh, man. And that's always the hardest question. I should have prepared you for that one. That's okay. I think I think that my best piece of advice is to keep on doing what we're doing. Let's make it let's make it over one fourth. Let's continue to continue to inspire, continue to build up our community so that we continue to grow. Yeah, I love that. I agree. I wish I knew what the answer was to make it more than one fourth. I would love a rebranding opportunity to no longer be nearly one fourth. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think keep on doing what you're doing. I think I think everybody keep on doing what you're doing. Go, do good work. Be so be so good. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what your sex is, what your race is, what your ethnicity is. Be so good. It does not matter. And um, and then we continue to grow. We continue to inspire. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when I was growing up, I didn't know any female architects. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I knew none. I knew of a couple that, um, you know, that were in my community and that was mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, I hope that my daughter grows up and she sees the other moms and the other women in the community that mm-hmm. are architects, that are engineers, that are doctors, mm-hmm. that are lawyers, that are um, bankers, that are, have these have these important jobs and serve mm-hmm. our community well, and know that she can do anything. Mm-hmm. 
And she can. And there's no reason, honestly, like, be as good, be the best. You don't get noticed for the other things anyways. It's unfortunate that people get noticed for those things regardless. <laughs> um, like, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you're how you identify or the color of your skin. So it's a little unfortunate that there has to be that, like, extra step of showing what you're capable of in those settings to diminish yes. the biases. It is. Um, it, it's, it is. It's total bullcrap. I was, I was actually talking to someone today about many times interviewing over the last however many years. I can't tell you how many times I would, like, take a tour through an office and they'd be like, oh, are you here for interiors? I was like, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of women in this office that are not just interior designers. And interior design is a super good and important profession too. But why are you assuming that I'm here to pick out fabric for you? Because I'm not. <laughs> yep. Um, this past week, I thought of you, Haley. Uh, I got uh, an, a newsletter from the State of Kentucky Board of Architecture. Mm -hmm. um, that is where I got my first license. And um, so I get their, um, I guess it's maybe quarterly newsletters and I was flipping mm -hmm. through it and it gave the statistics on the breakdown of registered architects within the state of Kentucky. First mm -hmm. off, not many of them even live in the state of Kentucky. They're yeah. just doing business in the state yeah. of Kentucky. <laughs> um, but second off, there were less than 25%, I believe, who were yeah. female. Um, but they are combined with the, um, with the interior designers. And so conversely, the, you know, there's 97% of interior designers are female. I'm making up that number, but it was something yeah. like that. And then 3% were male. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, it, it was crazy. It is so crazy. And, you know, I know a few male interior designers and honestly, from my like negative stereotypes I assumed going into meeting them that they were architects and I was wrong and they're interior designers but once I learned that they were interiors I never thought twice about it I was like duh of course you mm -hmm. can be interiors but I feel like that same respect on the flip side like when a when I'm asked like oh are you here for an interiors interview and I'm like no I'm here for architecture and they're like hmm okay that's <laughs> and crazy still questioning it and i'm like yeah isn't it 2023 i'm pretty sure more than half of my graduating class at both universities was women it just is astounding to me that yes i mean half of the entering half of the emerging professionals are women so why would you n not assume that it's architecture at an architecture firm <laughs> yeah but we'll get there. And I agree. I think if everyone just keeps chugging along and keeping their little grains of hope and one day we'll have a picture perfect world where no one thinks twice about your gender and its relationship to your ability to do your job. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, be so good. It doesn't matter. And just be that force, um, be that little individual force that is inspiring others. Yep. Well, awesome. Um, thank you so much for coming on to the show. It's been great getting to know you the last few years. And you're so right. The Cincinnati community is amazing. So I'm sure we'll see each other around and we'll get to do fun stuff together. So thank you so much. Thanks, Haley. I really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Sounds good. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Nearly One Fourth. Please head over to the show notes to see anything that we may have talked about today in today's episode. Lastly, please make sure to follow, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and check out our website, www.nearlyonefourth.com, to stay up to date on the latest episodes and content. That is all I have for you today, and see you next week on another episode of Nearly One Fourth. Thank you.